Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to The Visible Artist. My name is Sophie Loxton-Lucas and I'm delighted to bring you this episode with textile artist Cecilia Charlton. I first came across Cecilia's work at the Collect Art Fair and absolutely loved her ambitious fibre pieces. Her Instagram account is a wonderful door into the world of textiles. She shares process videos, images of historical weaving drafts and details of different techniques. Cecilia describes her work as fibre-based investigations into abstraction, form and colour with a grounding in personal experience. I had so many questions about her journey as a textile artist and absolutely loved spending a morning in her home studio in Broccoli. Cecilia has carved out an impressive path in the world of craft, fine art and design. We talk about the Jerwood Makers Open Award, her installation at Space Ilford, her experience of working with galleries and her recent residency at Villa Lina, Tuscany. I do hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi Cecilia, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks Sophie, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm really excited to be here in your studio, in your home. <laughs> I'm really excited to have you here. I wasn't really sure what to expect, to be honest, because it's a residential address and I know that you work on a large scale, so I didn't, yeah, I didn't really know what I was going to step into. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the nice things about textiles is that you can really create a large work and then have it come in a very small package. Mm. So I think... I think that's part of what enables me to make the work that I do from this type of studio. Yes, and I suppose some people might not appreciate the scale of your work from seeing it online as well. So that's another surprise. So to start with, can you just tell me about your current practice? I guess I'm in a bit of a transition at the moment. For the last few years, I've been working exclusively with Bargello, which is a type of needlepoint that uses color and pattern to create motifs that I then manipulate to create abstract compositions. In the last year, I've been looking for ways to augment that, to move beyond just that specific type of embroidery, to um, find other ways of engaging with a broader technical dialogue. Um, So I've started to introduce weaving into my practice using a technique called overshot, which again utilizes primarily 
color and pattern, but with a completely different set of equipment and a really quite different creative process, just in terms of how you have to structure the project from the beginning in a rather deliberate way, and then where you can insert your own intuition and spontaneity, which I find to be really integral to my Bargello process. So I'm kind of in the midst of figuring all that out and then incorporating elements of quilting and other types of embroidery. So yeah, that's kind of where I am at the moment now, trying to integrate all those techniques into what I've been doing with my Bargello practice. Mm. And w- what are we looking at here in your in your studio? Yeah, so I've <laughs> been filling out my studio with various pieces of textile equipment in the last couple of years. Um, the first that I added to the studio was this embroidery frame, which is behind me. I started using that after receiving one of the Jerwood Makers Open Awards. The idea with that project is to make a step change in your practice. And so this embroidery frame enables me to work on a much bigger scale than I was able to before. And so it is a meter wide, and then there's a rolling dowels at the top and bottom. And so if you imagine a scroll, you can put a piece of embroidery canvas that is one meter wide and any length that you want onto it and then scroll down to make a taut embroidery surface in any part of that full length. Mm -hmm. And so that was pretty important piece of studio kit. (laughs) Um, It really transformed my practice in a big way. And then the other main piece of studio equipment that I've got here is a eight shaft countermarch glamocra loom. This is what I've been trying to figure out over the last year. I first started reading about Welsh tapestry weaving, and I had no idea you could create patterns like that in weaving, which I think I just must not have known that much about weaving. Because once I learned more about weaving, I realized there's a lot of different traditions around the world that rely quite heavily on intricate pattern. And so, yeah, I guess it was January 2021, really, that I started reading about weaving. I spent about six months just watching YouTube videos (laughs) and buying a bunch of books, which felt crazy because I hadn't ever even taken a workshop before in weaving. To be acquiring all these books around a technique I don't even didn't even use yet. And then I found this loom on a website which is called the Loom Exchange. If anybody is looking for <laughs> used weaving equipment, that's the place to go. And again, I had never <laughs> woven before, but I had done enough research to know what level of capability I wanted in a loom. And this was it. <laughs> So yeah, again, I had never woven before, but I went and picked this loom up in Bath. And then over the last year, I've been kind of taking every opportunity I could to... I had to do a bit of work on it when I first got it, cleaning the reed and things like that. And then just figuring out what kind of materials I want to use. It's a whole new kettle of fish to figure out because there's just so many things you can do with it. And so it's really about figuring out how to do what I want to do Mm. with this equipment on top of figuring out just how to make the equipment work. (laughs) So yeah, it's been really fun to um, play around with. Yeah. It sounds as though you have quite 
an experimental approach then you've bought a brand new well not brand new but a new piece of equipment for you and you're working out how to use it and I read that I mean you started in painting you have a BFA and an MA in painting and then you moved through pottery and then ended up in textiles so how was that journey and do you still refer back to your painting degrees in your work yeah I definitely refer back to painting so I think my okay um, oh my goodness, I touched the table. <laughs> That's okay. So I guess maybe the place to explain where I am now is to go all the way back to my first relationship with creativity, which was with my mom sewing. So mm-hmm. she had a seamstressing business from when I was a teenager until just a few years ago. She finally um, retired. And so we would sew with her on the weekends on the sewing machine, but then also various types of embroidery. And so I kind of grew up around that. And also my grandmother got her MA in textiles. And so there's this multi-generational kind of fascination (laughs) with textiles, which is interesting because if you go a few generations back in any family, people kind of had to have a relationship with textiles just so they could have linens and clothing Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but then beyond that I think my family has continued to pursue creating their own clothes and creating embroideries for the house beyond just the industrial era and so that was interesting because I think that introduced me to sewing techniques and knowledge around those materials and processes but in a way, it made it so that I didn't see that as a creative medium. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. Throughout my 20s, I would kind of use sewing to patch friends' clothing or make them a Halloween costume or, um, you know, make alterations to my own clothes, but I never used it as a creative medium. Um, and then I think the pottery, there were various mediums that I went through on my journey to fine arts, Mm -hmm. perhaps starting with that kind of domestic functional relationship to creativity. That's sort of why maybe pottery made sense to me at first. And then I moved from that to working with a sculptural ceramic artist. And so still within the craft of ceramics, but in a more fine art sense. And then I finally found myself at Hunter College, and I started that degree not really knowing what I thought I wanted to study. Um, And so it was a bit of a surprise to me to end up in painting, but I just took a painting one-on-one class and then was just obsessed. And I think there are a lot of similarities to the way I used to make paintings and the embroidery that I do now. It was quite system-based and structural. Uh, a lot of use of color, not so much pattern per se, but definitely repeated motifs. Mm. And so then when I was in my MA, I got quite tired of working with acrylic because I realized that as a material, it didn't really carry very much content for me. And so it was just really a series of coincidences. I was working in the textiles facilities at the RCA, but mostly using their knitting machines, so not related to embroidery at all. But then I saw a book at a coffee shop about Bargello, and I just saw the patterns all on the cover, and I took a picture of it, and then looked more about it online when I got home. 
and I realized how relevant that embroidery process could be in terms of what I was interested in pursuing in painting. Mm. And then I also realized that it carries all this personal content for me, being connected to my own upbringing, to the generations of my family, to then all the thousands of years of human history. It became this really rich territory for me to explore in a really unexpected and surprising way. Mm. And now you show your textile pieces in gallery spaces, don't you? You seem to cross across craft art design. How do you feel about that? Where do you see yourself? And it's just an interesting positioning, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I can really take credit for having any control over that. I really like to share my embroidery practices, not my embroidery practices, but these embroidery techniques that have Mm. been around for hundreds of years. And I think that is something that I remember from my time working in craft is how open, particularly in the pottery field, how open everybody is to sharing exactly how they do what they do Mm. and finding it really exciting to get other people excited about learning what are relatively proprietary techniques, right? And then when you get into fine art, people are a bit more secretive and protective. So I think there's an attitude that I have around my practice that I think comes from craft that I really like to share my excitement around textiles with other people, particularly because it is so low tech, it is so approachable. It's a good activity for anyone from four years to 84 years it's an avenue into creativity that once you give people those materials then they can really run with it it's been really enjoyable for me to have that kind of social engagement around what I make because otherwise there's this other component of what I do which is just quite hermetic I mean just yesterday I was in the studio for 12 hours (laughs) alone you know by myself and that has its own component um, that I really enjoy about it as well so I don't know, I guess maybe in response to your question, I think the attitude I've always had with my practice is that I'll end up where I end up. Mm -hmm. I make what feels true to me and try to engage with opportunities in a way that excites me. And if I am in craft, then I'm in craft. If I'm in fine art, then I'm in fine art. If I'm in design, then I'm in design. But I don't feel too worked up about which type of environment I'm relating to with any particular project. Because to me, they're all kind of connected, right? Mm. I think that's really interesting to hear. And I think it'll be really inspiring for emerging textile artists. Because I know from, I know quite a few younger textile artists that maybe have just graduated and they're quite daunted by the art world they want to try and build a career in that space but it's hard to know where to start so to hear that you're happy to cross into all those different areas I think is really inspiring yeah I just think they have a lot to gain from each other Mm -hmm. and I know there are artists that specifically identify as craftspeople there are artists that specifically identify as designers and so every artist is has the right to define for the outside world how they see themselves or where they want to fit. But for me, I'm kind of like, <laughs> let's all get together <laughs> and 
learn from each other and like these juxtapositions of when you put someone like everything's a spectrum right and so you have people who are craft all the way at the craft end of the spectrum you have people all the way at the fine art end of the spectrum and I think people categorize them out of necessity right like Mm -hmm. when you're designing an art fair if you don't have any clarity on what kind of fair it is then it's hard to get people to know what they're maybe going to come see Mm -hmm. and so I think it's out of necessity that we kind of create these delineations but then as artists, I think maybe we have a bit more freedom to be wherever you want to be on that spectrum and then show up in whatever opportunities can kind of overlap mm. in, in the Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> and when I'm thinking about your work, the pieces are very abstract, but they have a lot of stories behind them, both in terms of the, the ideas and the context that you're inspired by, perhaps the histories of the projects and the spaces that you're showing in but also obviously the techniques as well so how much do you feel as though you need to explain all of that to whoever's viewing the pieces and does that change in depending on the context I always try to make my works so that people can relate to them in whatever degree they want so if people are really just interested in color and pattern Mm. you know they can meet the work there if they want to have a bit more of a window into what the ideas that i have are about the work then they can go check out the title sometimes they're more direct than others but i always try to use them to at least shed a tone but also if people want to apply their own history or their own interpretation i think that's one of the nice things about abstractions that it leaves some space for that to happen and I'm always really curious to hear what other people's reaction to my work is I know what I think like that's not (laughs) terribly revealing for for me then I guess the next level is if I want to explain to people everything that I thought about that went into the design Mm -hmm. of the composition but then also the things so for me often the content of the work doesn't come until I'm in the process of creating it Mm. and so I'm always happy to talk to people about that if they want to hear about it more from my point of view and what I was hoping to have the work communicate but the interesting thing is that even though they are abstract compositions it's surprising how often people come back to the same terminology when they see the works there's this kind of a certain amount of consistency Mm. between so what sort of terminology would they use for your pieces? Just kind of the feeling, maybe. It seems as though lots of your pieces are inspired by quite different histories. Mm-hmm. So I was reading about your mammoth loop show at mm-hmm. Space, which was linked to the discovery of the prehistoric mammal. And then the series you exhibited at Somerset House that referred to the history of the building and the movements of the Thames River water. So these are really quite different histories and they're un- not really related to textiles at all. Could you tell me about that? I think textiles is a really good connector. It feels as though you can draw quite different histories and then bring them into your work. Uh, so if people are using similar terminology, it's interesting that there's that consistency across yeah, your pieces. Yeah, I'm more saying they're using similar terminology between, like, in each piece. Like, mm-hmm. maybe a piece makes them feel, like, kind of calm. Or, oh, I see, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. More than the same reaction across all of the works that I do, mm. I guess. Yeah. And I, I wonder that. if that's just down to, like, consistent references to color, or I guess I just get interested in how patterns can carry content. And so 
certain patterns feel energetic mm. or they feel smooth or they feel fresh. And I guess that's more what I'm talking about. And I read online that you, although your works look sort of very technical and mapped out, it, you actually are creating as you go. And yeah. it's, the, the process itself is very creative. You haven't got it all planned out beforehand. Yeah, that I think is really quite important to me in terms of my creative practice. Because of course one could plan out my embroideries all mm-hmm. ahead of time. It's just a grid. And so particularly working on a computer, mm-hmm. you're already dealing with pixels. It's quite clear the relationship between how one might design it on a computer and then translate that to the embroidery but what I realized with that is that then the embroidery process would all just be execution Mm -hmm. and for me it's really important to have the embroidery process feel really creative and really alive and so it's really a collaboration between myself and the embroidery as the embroidery kind of reveals itself usually what I do is I select a pattern that I want to work with and a color palette and then I can kind of envision where it's going to sit within the composition. And then I just kind of start. And as the pattern starts to fit into the composition, I can kind of gauge how I think everything's going, what I think about the colors. And then I can kind of attenuate my decisions during the process of embroidery. You mentioned on your Instagram, you posted an amazing picture, a page from a book of historical weaving drafts. Yeah. So beautiful. But you also mentioned weaving software. So it sounds like you are exploring that side of things as well. Yeah, so I've got that book right here. Maybe it'll help to show you. Because there is a certain amount of weaving that you you just must... I may get to the point someday with weaving where I can look at a draft and know what it's going to look like. I'm not at that point yet. (laughs) And so what's really important to me about the weaving software is that, particularly with this book... There's a lot of drafts that don't have any corresponding imagery. And so these all, for example, I don't have any idea what that's going to look like. Mm. And so what I've been doing is putting this all into weaving software, and then it'll show me what it's going to look like. Oh, wow, yes. Um, And one could do that all by hand if one wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) There's hundreds in here, and so I'm just trying to get to the point where I can actually use these. My interest is being able to use these. Mm. I think eventually my interest will be in, okay, I need to now learn how to do this by hand so I, like, properly understand it. I can show you some of the drafts so you can see how useful this process is. So this is the main... Bargello book that mm-hmm. I use. With the Bargello book, it's kind of already there. I see the pattern. I know what it's going to look like. With weaving, it's just that there's this whole mechanism that you're putting that pattern through between this and then what you get out. Yes. And so I'm having to um, kind of rely on software to, yeah, get those drafts to the point where I can actually use them. It feels as though for the Bargello and then the weaving, you're having to approach it in almost the opposite ways in a way although I will say once I've started actually weaving with these patterns once I'm and this is what happened with the Bargello too is at the beginning I was just copying the patterns basically directly from the book onto the canvas Mm. and using color and 
combining different patterns to create compositions. But then as I, I became more familiar with the structure of those patterns and how they work, then you can really kind of go off script and do whatever you want and manipulate them. That's what's going to happen with the weaving as well. Because you can imagine any curve there, you know, you could extend that and kind of go anywhere you'd like with it. There'll be an intuitive direction with the weaving once I've kind of got my bearings a bit more. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the practical sides of you showing your work. So I think that listeners will find that really fascinating. Was there a moment when you felt as though you kind of made it as a professional artist or a turning point or anything that made a significant difference to your career? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I don't know that any artist feels like they've ever made it. Because um, we all have imposter syndrome, don't we? I will say it felt really good to start working with my gallerist. Is that Candida Stevens? Yeah. Mm. I guess it's just that someone else sees your work. Well, it wasn't even about at a certain level, but just sees your work in a way that you don't maybe see your own work yet. So that, I think, felt really encouraging. You had a solo show with the gallery, and they've also shown you at art fairs, haven't they? Yep. And how is that relationship with the gallerist? Do they... I mean, does it feel quite collaborative, or do they just choose particular pieces that they like yeah so it feels I feel really lucky Canada is really supportive really creative really dedicated it feels super collaborative seems like she's always generating ideas to get my work out there mm -hmm. get my work out there in a way that'll stand out push me creatively and kind of position myself in an interesting way I remember even the first time we spoke on the phone she had ideas of, okay, here's where you are as an artist, Here, we need to get you this, 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 to get a bit more of a framework around your practice. Um, so she already had ideas of how to build my career, mm. and that seemed really positive to me in terms of beginning that relationship, and that has really carried through in the last couple of years working with her. Mm, that's the dream relationship I think with the gallery that they kind of nurture you as an artist let you but also let you grow and follow what you're doing but also give you ideas and guide you yep does she work with other textile artists like how does your work sit within the gallery rostra yeah so that was another thing that was really positive to me when she initially approached me was that she she works with Alice Kettle and Anthony Stevens who are both contemporary textile artists you know as long as that's the um <laughs> term that they feel comfortable saying and both of those artists really to me they work as paintings they're fine artists creating two-dimensional imagery in textile processes mm. with textile processes and materials mm. and so it seemed really encouraging to me that she was already navigating that territory um, and confident to field those kinds of questions Yes, because she's really, it must be, I imagine, playing an important role when she's at fairs talking about your work and putting it into the context of a maybe a fine art fair. Yep. And how about your experience with the Jerwood Art Fund Makers Open? What was that like? What did you have to do for that? Yeah, I mean, also, I feel like I've been really lucky these last couple of years working with just phenomenal, supportive organizations because they're another one 
so with the Makers Open, they're specifically working with early career artists, and so they really make a point to work with you in a way that establishes a level of professionalism that you should then carry forward into your next projects. They were really supportive for our iteration of the award. It was kind of interesting because it got postponed for a whole six months. Yeah, six months longer than the production period normally would have lasted. And so we had an extra six months of kind of check-ins and dialogue. And I don't have enough positive things to say about them. They were just super accessible um, actually, Svetlana is going to be stopping by for a studio visit this afternoon. Oh, nice. <laughs> so there's this continuing mm-hmm. relationship with them. And yeah, just super supportive and nurturing. And again, I think just having that feeling of, oh, someone treats me like a professional artist. That's like really quite exciting. And I wish it wasn't so like it. I wish it didn't stand out so much in the realm of experiences because Mm. it's just the way artists should always be treated but they often aren't Mm. and how did the makers open work did you apply yeah so it was an application period i saw mark corfield moore's work in it in the previous exhibition and yeah i'm not sure because he's working in textiles but doing a he i mean now i guess we have this overlap with the weaving but i just thought that was a really interesting opportunity to try for. And then things just kind of matched up well. I had an idea of a change I wanted to make with my work, and so it fit their objective. So the proposal that I initially put in is the work that I ended up making, which isn't always the case with with that award. Yeah, it was mid-pandemic. There was so much happening in the world. I mean, there is still now. And often my family kind of comes into my work and so I've got two sisters and so the theme of the three fates fit for me personally as well as a more universal dialogue and then having the main (laughs) thread (laughs) in the myth Mm -hmm. being string or thread Mm -hmm it seemed like it fit materially and conceptually. Mm. Um, So it all kind of just tied in Mm. well. (laughs) And did you have a show at the end of that? Yeah, so we just closed in April the exhibition at Jerwood Jerwood Arts here in London. We're about to open the... It's the same works, but re-curated into a space in, in Penzance called Newland Art Gallery. Yes, yeah. And then it'll go on to be exhibited in Aberdeen. So that's another exciting thing about that award is that you then have a touring exhibition mm-hmm. and they're really supportive of trying new things at each exhibition space. And so it's this continued opportunity to experiment with mm-hmm. your own practice. That sounds incredible. I love the idea that, yes, that you've been part of it but then carries on and it goes around the country travels around so more and more people see your work it's an amazing opportunity can you tell me about your recent exhibition and your workshops at space yeah so that was really funny one also because again it was i applied for it in the pandemic year and then i kept getting emails about the decision being postponed 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 and i thought this is just 
probably you you always apply to things not expecting anything but this <laughs> one I just didn't really know what to expect and then I got an email I was on the short list and then I got an email that I'd been selected and the interesting part about that process is that the space if I understand it correctly the space team selected the shortlist and then the seniors from the community are the ones that selected the winner oh nice and so there was already this kind of rapport between myself and the participants because they had instead of space telling the community this is the project we've chosen mm-hmm. for you yeah the community chose it for themselves mm-hmm. which felt really nice from the beginning and that project also i mean space is a great organization to work for they were really supportive again just going to great lengths to do all the things like the door vinyl the poster the wall text they were just so thorough in terms of putting together an exhibition that was gonna communicate the most to the community and it was just such a fun project so it was a series of 15 workshops with the local seniors and half of those were on zoom so it was so stimulating to work with them over that period of time because what would happen is every week at our in-person workshop they would all take all the materials home to keep working that's one of the nice things about textiles is you Mm -hmm. can just take it around with you and so then they'd show up every week with things they had been working on since the last time I saw them and they just brought so much of their own energy to it watching YouTube videos and teaching themselves stitches that I'd never seen before (laughs) yeah just working with the materials in a way that I would never have come up with myself and so it's just really nice to meet that group of people and yeah I really got a lot out of the project and I hope that I hope they did too Mm. and it looks like it was quite an ambitious project and in terms of the scale of the space. Yeah, it was really different for me. And that is another aspect of it that I appreciated for myself and my positioning as an artist because it allowed me to move beyond just making a thing that gets put on the wall. Mm. Yeah, because textiles can be really quite transformative to a space beyond just hanging it on the wall. If you just move it out from the wall a foot or two feet, you know, then you've got kind of a a theater set and a sense of dimensionality and so yeah again I think it was really down to space encouraging me to be ambitious and really take it in whatever direction I wanted to (laughs) and yeah it was it was really surprising project to work on. Did you have a clear idea of what you wanted to do before you started or were you quite daunted by the scale of it? I had less of idea than I did for Jerwood. So in my proposal for space, I had read about the mammoth and I had read a bit about the other historical presences in Ilford, like the Saxons and the Romans. And so I think I had said some things about Roman architecture and a a, to scale mammoth head, which (laughs) I then had to deliver on, <laughs> which was fine. It was, um, it was a really key feature to the exhibition, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but then, okay, so they told me that I had won it in May, 
we started the workshops in July, and then the exhibition opened in the first week of October. And so it was a project that the concept really developed during the creation of it, which again is quite similar to my embroidery practice. It's just like, imagine an embroidery that's taking two months and, you know, is the size of a six meter by 12 meter room, you know? (laughs) So it was just quite a sustained period of development, which I wasn't used to. And the other aspect of it that I wasn't used to was that a lot of the mechanisms by which the exhibition was going to be made were other people. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost as though those people were a medium in and of themselves. And that was quite unusual for me. I think it was really good for me in that there's a lot of components of it that you can't control which is the reason why it went so people's embroideries went in so many just different directions but it was interesting to try to figure out because the heart of the exhibition is really the workshops Mm -hmm. and so how to structure the workshops in a way that's going to give you raw materials that can then be converted into an exhibition and it wasn't really until we were partway through the workshops that I could see what was being made, that I could, those ideas could really start to solidify. And so, yeah, it definitely developed over the course of the workshop period. Sounds really fascinating, but also challenging. And this is something that I've spoken to other artists about, that you have to be quite bold when you're applying for these grants or awards because you're proposing something and you're not 100% sure whether you can actually create it until you start doing it, which is quite intimidating. Yeah. (laughs) You just got to do it. You got to just keep applying and have that confidence. You've recently participated in a residency in Tuscany. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So that was a fun um, project. And again, I think it gave me the opportunity to sort of grow my practice in 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 a different way. So I applied to go as a creative contributor, I think is what they call it, which meant that I was hosting workshops. So the residency, it's a villa, a 19th century villa, and that's where the artists all stay. And then they also have a hotel. So it's a piece of property that is, I think, 500 hectares. And so also on the property is a hotel and restaurant. So you have guests who are coming, a lot of them from London. And then I would host workshops for those guests. So it was a lot of practice hosting workshops, which I was really appreciative of. I taught things that I had not taught before, like visible mending. And then slightly different embroidery processes. But then also I just really tried to engage with the residency and take advantage of what was available to me there that wasn't available to me at home. So for example, we have we had these enormous studios, which were amazing, and not what I have at home, as you can <laughs> see. So these big white walls, you know, and I guess I was really thinking about the sky. And that's something else that I reacted to being there that obviously we have the sun and the moon and the star. Well, not so many stars here, but they are there. (laughs) But you just don't end up seeing them as much for some reason. I don't know if it's that the horizon is disrupted. So the position of the residency is at the top of a hill. And so you have horizon all the way around you. 
And so I found myself getting up to go see the sunrise and really like leaving dinner to go outside and take a picture of the sunset. And so I started doing these wall paintings. One of them was these big circles that were kind of reminiscent of a planet. So the way that the paint was going on almost looked like the surface of the moon or, you know, those close-up pictures of the surface of the sun where it's all these gases kind of like bubbling out. I think it felt quite similar to my embroidery process because I, I can't really say why I started making this wall painting, but it's just a, a grid of two by two inch squares all the way across a whole sheet of M MDF. But then as I was filling in the squares, I realized that that process felt quite similar to me, to my embroidery process. I had a bit of a system in terms of how color was working because I started off with yellow, blue, and red, and then I was kind of, so the primary colors, and then I was mixing those to conserve paint, just mixing those to get my secondary colors and then, you know, tertiary colors. And so there were kind of systems at work which felt familiar to me, but then the way I was filling in the squares was also just sheer intuition. And so again, there was this kind of combination between structure and intuition. And then also just the fact that the way of filling in the grid, it's just repetitive, small gestures. And so that felt quite reminiscent of each stitch mm. in an embroidery. And so I really went, aha, this is like very true, even though it's a completely different medium than my usual practice. I mean, it's not even in textiles, mm -hmm. for goodness sakes. But it does feel very true to who I am as an artist and how just how my brain works, I guess. Mm. It sounds as though that exploration is just exactly what you want from a residency, that you've in a different space and you can explore ideas and just sort of follow whatever transpires. But yeah. it's often linked back to your practice, but it's going in a different direction. Yeah, it sounds... Perfect. Yeah, and I think that is the first time. Usually I come to a residency with, like, this is what I'm going to work on here. And then I just basically end up doing that idea that I came to the residency with. And, it, you know, residencies are great for that. They just have time for you to plow through a bunch of work that maybe you hadn't had time to do mm -hmm. before. And so, yeah, this was my first time approaching a residency like that. And it was quite interesting to see <laughs> to see where it all went actually <laughs> well lastly just before we finish because i think so we could carry on talking for a long time you mentioned earlier that for those listeners that want to follow where you get your own inspiration you're particularly inspired by a piece in the tate collection lenore tawney's the queen can you just tell me more about this work yeah i mean i don't know a whole lot about it aside from just what i've seen in the work itself so it's a woven artwork. It feels as though it's about shoulder width, but maybe a bit wider. It goes pretty much floor to ceiling in the Tate exhibition rooms. So that would make it what, like three and a half, four meters, something like that. I'm sure an expert would ha on Lenore Tani's work would have much more information or maybe different information, but to me it just seems almost otherworldly. Um, like it has a real persona around it, not as though it's a person, but as though it's a, a being that we can relate to. There's kind of a head form and then shoulders, and then it kind of comes down 
So it's almost reminiscent of the silhouette of a, of a human. The use of weaving was really interesting to me to see how Lenore implemented those or manipulated weaving techniques. And so I, don't, I just found it to be quite a powerful artwork. Mm, absolutely. Um, oh, well, thank you so much, Cecilia. It's been really fascinating to chat to you. It's so lovely to be in this room. I just love seeing your work, but also following you on Instagram. So I'd urge anyone listening to, to follow Cecilia on Instagram. I'll link everything in the show notes. Um, but thank you so much for having me today. Oh, thank you very much for coming. It's been really nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Please follow Cecilia at Cecilia Charlton and the podcast at The Visible Artist Podcast. I hope you have a fantastic week in the studio and I'll see you next Friday. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.